You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that am. So today is officially going to be PFF Day. Um, as I said last week, I'm not going to go through every single minute little detail, especially since that tends to probably upset more people than anything else anyways. Because you get into the minutia of, well, he should have been higher. He should just here are the people who are, who are awesome. Here are the people who weren't super great. And then some stats and things in between. Also want to look big picture because the Packers have jumped up in the rankings as far as their overall grade because, I don't know, I guess they're still doing well. Um, Otherwise, before we get to our break and preliminaries, what I don't want to do and I'm not going to do um, is get into private arguments publicly on the podcast. But let me just clarify a couple things about yesterday because, as I said, I didn't want to do it because I knew people were just going to throw a hissy fit. Because anybody, you know, back in the day, if you said anything bad about Ted Thompson, guess what? You were wrong. If you said anything bad about Mike McCarthy or Dom Capers, you were wrong. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to observe problems. People that are historically awesome are never allowed to be bad again. And they're never allowed to be criticized, and you're never allowed to notice it. So people get upset. But there's two things. Number one, I, I don't ever write the titles to these things until afterward, and it's like, I don't, what do I, I don't know. I gotta go, here's the title. But yesterday, I feel like kind of fully encapsulated how I feel about this. Yesterday's title was something to the effect of, we should be happy, but we shouldn't be satisfied. And I think that's a fair assessment of the situation. And they are different things. It's okay, and you can be happy about where we are, but also still say, you know, I wish that was better. And people that try to take those things and say, no, you're either happy about everything, or you're not a real fan, or you're not really happy, or you're... Dude, go away. Because you're obnoxious. But but let me elaborate a little bit, out because... And I know the, the real fact of the matter is the people that get upset are the people that aren't actually thinking about this. But if you actually are going to be a thinking human being, here's what you have to do. You have to answer this question. Was that against the Lions, the Green Bay Packers putting in their best effort? That was the only question I was answering yesterday. And I don't claim to have any real insight. I'm just thinking it through myself. You come up with whatever conclusion you want. Here's the thing, though. I choose to believe that's not the Packers doing their best. And that's all I said yesterday. That they're not trying hard enough. They're not putting in the work. Now, that's fine if you want to get mad at me, but understand the implication of what you're saying. If I'm wrong, then that is the Packers at their best, and we've got a much bigger problem than Aaron Rodgers focusing on a house or a girlfriend. A much bigger problem, because that's the Packers at their best. I choose not to believe that. That's it. And and from here on out, I'm moving on, because I don't care. Packers are in the playoffs. Packers are 13-3. and I'm excited, and I've answered that question for myself. I got it. Checked it off the list. Now you go answer it. Did they do everything they could to game plan, to work, to scheme, to grind, to beat the Detroit Lions? Maximum effort? Or do they maybe kind of coast into this one? If they coasted, you agree with me. Maybe not on all the particulars. That's fine. But in general, you agree. There was a lack of effort. If you disagree, again, we got a problem. So anyways, just throwing it out there. It's only one of those two things. And newsflash, you can't be Mr. Positivity when you answer that question. I'm sorry, because some of you like to be. Only positive all the time. Fine, answer the question. So, 
Anyways, that's your assignment for the day. I've already answered it. I've moved on. First time I've ever done homework early in my life. First one done with the homework. Yeah, right. Anyways, do yourself a favor. Join the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Be a good place to answer that exact question, actually. Secondly, Packernet Podcast uh, Facebook page. I have now trained the bots to do a thing. It's not what I really wanted them to do and uh, whatever, but it'll give you kind of a flavor of what I want it to do in the future. You can ask it to show you some Packers news, and in the future I want it to actually give you some articles. But as of right now, it's just a link to um, Packernet's news section, which is just an aggregation of all the news around the web. And then going forward, I'd like to be... So you can you can go to the, the conversation with the Packernet Facebook page and ask it a lot of different things, and it'll get, you know, show me the schedule. Boom, there's the schedule. That's kind of what I'm aiming for. Kind of like a Packers-centric Alexa, but it's, you know, web-based. Take you to websites and things of that nature as opposed to just some lady telling you stuff. So yeah, go ahead and do that. And then in order to be involved in that, you got to actually send it a message. Send the page a message and then, you know, stuff happens. Otherwise, if you'd like to help out the show, leaving a five-star iTunes rating and review would be extremely helpful. And if you still got a little bit of that Christmas spirit and aren't bankrupt and want to support the podcast, there is a Patreon page as well as a few other things if you hate Patreon for whatever reason, uh, Venmo or just PayPal. Of course, that's always appreciated. Otherwise, why don't we go ahead and take our break and start looking at what PFF had to say about the Packers, and I'll be honest, it's a little shocking. <laughs> so it's a, fa- it's, it's a very sad day in Vivid Seats history, and hopefully this will change in the near future, but this is the last day I get to encourage you to buy some sweet, sweet tickets. It's been a long, fun run, but as 2019 comes to a close, you're on your own, man. So let me just do this one more time. Let me encourage you one last time. The Green Bay Packers are in the playoffs. And we need that place to be so loud and so crazy. If there's any way that you can get yourself there, I would definitely encourage you to check out Vivid Seats. Go and find the perfect seats for you and the people that you want to bring. And go watch the Green Bay Packers coming off their bye, fully healthy and fully fired up on a cold and snowy historic day to take one step closer to a Super Bowl championship. To be able to be a part of that history. And when you're ready to do so, make sure you use promo code OVERTIME to receive a discount of up to $100. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right. So as it stands right now, I want to start with football outsiders because they've gotten the opportunity to see the big picture. This was revised as of yesterday. So all the latest games are now updated. So the entire regular season is here. These are their final um, team DVOA rankings. As of right now, well, no, no, just this is what it is. The Green Bay Packers, they have 10th overall. I think that's not terrible. Considering the strength of some of these teams, Baltimore, Kansas City, New England is just wild to me. New Orleans, San Francisco, Dallas, as I've, you know, they, they absolutely agree with PFF that this is a much better team than they're putting out, but whatever. Minnesota, Seattle, Tennessee, and then the Packers. I mean, that's that's fairly good company. They're up there with Seattle and Minnesota and Tennessee, who's just lighting the universe on fire. And the, the other benefit is last year they were 19th, so they went from 19th to 10th. And, of course, the record in the ranking in the the seeding in the playoffs is really all that matters anyways. But it's 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 growth. 
It's massive growth as far as the defense is concerned, and we've seen at least some moderate growth as far as the offense is concerned. And I know some people will point to stats and look at this and look at that, and it was, I think, Andy Herman who basically showed the stats of Aaron Rodgers being identical to last year despite having all these new things. I don't know. That's not really how I'm I'm, 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 I'm just trying to look at what I'm seeing on the football field, and I feel like last year, and maybe I'm just remembering this year wrong, but I don't think I am. Last year, this was an offense that never got into a rhythm. This year, we're really starting to see a rhythm. It's clunky, and it's it's kind of it's kind of like start trying to start your car with a two-year-old battery in the dead of winter and 20 below. It's a little iffy. Sometimes it has a hard time going, but she gets going. You know what I mean? We'll be all right. And and it's it's enough so that the growth and the fact that we've talked about a thousand times the 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 fact that Lafleur has not been able to implement his guys and put his pieces in place to get his kind of wide receivers, because this is this is a team stack with Mike McCarthy players. Let's get some Matt Lafleur wide receivers and some Matt Lafleur tight ends. Maybe Jace is one of those already. Whatever. We'll give Jace another year too. The guy's played how many games now? Hardly at all. He hasn't had much time. He's been injured all year. So let's let's give this thing a shot here next year and see how it goes. Not of course not giving up on this year. I'm just saying the the. Exciting thing is that there's every reason to believe it's going to continue to get better, in my opinion. And that includes Aaron Rodgers, by the way. I don't know what's going on with the, the lack of accuracy in this last game, but I think the real strength is how talented they look in the short game, how competent they are trying to convert third and short. The incredible running game, which is exactly as I said in the beginning of the year, how Matt LaFleur in Tennessee struggled at the beginning of the year and by the end of the year, Derrick Henry was the top back in football, and now we're looking at it saying this is entirely possible. You could make the argument Aaron Jones is the best running back in football. Probably not the case, but you know you could make weight touchdowns very heavily or whatever. There's there's growth in the right direction. Um, as it stands, the DVO rank the the <laughs> DVOA ranking, and this is beyond shocking. They have the Packers offense ranked eighth, the Packers defense ranked fifteenth. So. I don't know, man. Everybody gets mad at me because you should be using Football Outsiders instead of PFF. I feel like I haven't watched the 8th-ranked offense and the 15th-ranked defense, but maybe that's me. I don't know. Either way, they got their system. There's the rankings. It's going to be a weird day, by the way. This is not the last time we're going to look at something and go, wait, what? So, buckle up. By the way, this is the 18th-ranked special team, so much better than I would have expected. As far as PFF's overall rankings by the conclusion of the regular season, the Green Bay Packers are bordering on elite. So there are officially uh, six teams with elite grades. The Saints, the 49ers, the Ravens, the Titans, the Vikings, and the Cowboys are the teams that have elite grades. Yes, I said the Cowboys. I've been saying this all along. This is a team stacked with talent that can't figure out how to win, which is why the entire coaching staff got fired. They are wasting precious time with a very good football team. Also, probably part of the reason it's a good thing that the Eagles got in and not the Cowboys, because maybe they figure it out. I don't know. Just outside of that is the New England Patriots with an 89.3 grade. The Packers are next in line and the next closest to an elite grade with an 87.6. Offensively and defensively, PFF does have the defense higher by a little bit, though. So even PFF says it's pretty close to even as far as offensive and defensive grading. And here's kind of how it breaks down. The offense is a 77. The defense is a 79. See, the offense is more kind of evenly distributed. Everything is good, not great. Defense, you got some elite, and then you got some good, and then you got some not super great. So the basically the very good, right around 80. Uh, passing grade, pass blocking grade, running grade, and then the 70 grades would be the receiving and the run blocking. And as much as 70 in my vernacular means good, it's really not. It's 23rd, the receiving is. And I think that's something that we're going to see down the line 
is that PFF, similar to last year, is really starting to lean heavily on blaming the wide receivers. At least that's definitely the case for last this last week because they were not mad at Aaron Rodgers. Overall, though, they do have this as the 10th-ranked offense. They have this as the 8th-ranked um, defense. The biggest thing, and, the, and the, the highest grade is actually not pass rush, it's coverage. They have this as the 7th-ranked pass rush, or excuse me, coverage unit with a borderline elite grade, similar to the overall grade. You've got five teams with um, elite coverage, the Patriots, the 49ers, the Vikings, the Bills, and the Steelers. Yes, the Vikings, as I said, they suddenly figured it out. Probably benching Xavier Rhodes help. Then after that, you got the Cowboys and the Packers, who are right at uh, you know 89 and 88. Pass rush, the the Packers are actually ranked higher but graded lower. So the overall grade is about 80, but they have the fourth best pass rush unit behind the Steelers, the Rams, and the 49ers. Another way to say that is they have the second best pass rushing unit in the playoffs. The Saints and the Eagles are fairly close behind. The Vikings are also top 10 at coming in at 8th overall as far as pass rush. So that's actually something that'll be interesting, especially in the offseason to maybe look at tomorrow, is trying to look at the different the differences between the playoff team. Because one of the awesome things about this is that you have a well-rounded team. You've got a, a team that is, you know, 8th overall, but it's not heavily weighted toward offense or defense. For example, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who obviously aren't in the playoff, but if you look at their... 81 overall ranking it's all defense elite coverage elite pass rush elite run defense terrible tackle but then offense is just garbage i mean they they had the number one defense in football but their offense was just terrible an example of a team that's that's just entirely one-sided would be the chiefs 77 offense 64 defense i've been down on the chiefs and i've been saying i don't think they're going to win a super bowl until they fix that defense which given that they got rid of John Dorsey. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But they've got the 25th best defense. So it's just, again, these are the teams that I'm basically just checking off the list saying this isn't going to work. And hopefully through the process of elimination, the Packers end up at least staying staying on the list. But anyways, the, the areas obviously that the Packers struggle would be run defense and tackling. Now the run defense did improve over the last few weeks, but then last week obviously it got worse. So over the course of the season, 25th overall. Now, hopefully what we saw against the Vikings in the few weeks before that where the defense, especially Kenny Clark, really took a big leap and Zadarius took a massive leap as far as a run defender is what carries into um, the postseason because just looking at a week-to-week thing here, this week 17 against the Lions was the worst run defense grade the Packers have had since week 5 against Ezekiel Elliott and the Dallas Cowboys. Tackling is low, and obviously against the Minnesota Vikings, it was awesome. They didn't miss a single tackle. That dropped off again against the Detroit Lions. It was still not terrible. But anyways, those are the two areas that historically have struggled, but there's a glimmer of hope, especially in that Vikings game, to where we don't have to assume that what we saw over the course of the year is what we're going to see into the postseason. Um, Looking at kind of areas of growth or decline, you could argue pass blocking. There was kind of a dead zone in the middle, but it, it, the first five weeks of the season were just kind of meh. Granted, there were some good pass pass rushers, but that has really been pretty locked down since, basically since after Nick Bosa came to town. The Giants, the Redskins, the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions weren't able to do a ton. Um, if there's one thing that's completely bottomed out, it's the receiving grade. So from week one to week six, you could say it was pretty mediocre, 65 to 70 in that range, so average to good. Then against Oakland and the Chiefs, the receivers really stepped up. That was the two games where it was like, oh, wow, we got something here. Since then, it's been pretty terrible. 
one grade in the 70s, three grades in the 60s, four games down into the 50s. So to be clear, um, through week eight, there was not one game in the 50s, which is below average. Since then, we've got four. So the receiving ability has really dropped off. Now, the good thing is Alan Lazard has really risen to the occasion. The problem is you got guys like Marquez who have dropped down into just complete, I mean, trying to think of a nicer way to say it, but uselessness. And I know he converted that third down, and that's cool, but him and Geronimo are right now competing for two of the worst wide receivers in all of football. That's affecting this grade. And Kumaro, you know, he pops up once in a while, but he isn't doing much for himself either. So it's it's gone from we've got a number one and a pile of guys that are like number three, kind of number two, to we've got a number one, we've got a number two, and just nothing else. So it's a, it's a transformation of what we've got. And I, I guess I don't know if that's better or worse. I would assume that's probably a little bit worse because it's maybe a little bit easier to scheme for. But it is nice having somebody that's, at least for a while now, seemingly stepped up as a legit number two. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. There's been a lot of up and down from all these wide receivers in terms of looking good and then just dropping off. But that's definitely something that as a group has completely fallen off is the receiving. Uh, the running grades have been great since about week eight also at Kansas City. So prior to that, through seven weeks, the running grades were all average or below average with the exception of one game against the Cowboys. Since then, we've had four games that are basically very good. One game that was good, four average games, and only one below average game, and that was the San Francisco 49ers game. So since week eight, the running game has been on point. Uh, run blocking is phenomenal. So as I said, run blocking is never a good thing. If I go back to 2018, there was literally, literally, I'm looking at it right now, not one game of even 70, which is good. Not one. The highest run blocking grade the Green Bay Packers had all year was week eight against the Rams, which was a 67. Pretty much all year that's been different. Week one, it was borderline 80. Week three, it was borderline 80. But outside of that, from week one to week 12, it was a bunch of average to below average and one bad game against the Eagles. Since week 13, however, here's the grades. Run blocking, offensive line wide receiver. And keep in mind, again, not one single 70 grade in all of 2018. So since the New York Giants game, 76, 77, 71, 77, 65. These guys are figuring it out. And again, this is part of the exciting thing looking at the postseason as well as 2020. This team is just starting to figure it out. And considering this is an offense that's entirely built off of the run game, the fact that they've only been running the ball well, I mean, Aaron Jones has improvised and done some amazing things, but as far as the offensive line being a major asset in the run game, that's been happening for maybe five weeks. That's it. Five weeks, this offensive line and these tight ends and wide receivers have really figured it out. you got guys like Mercedes Lewis who have really stepped up as a great run defender, run blockers. And then the last thing that I would say, well, maybe there's two. So you could look at coverage. It was real good at first. And then there was just a dead zone. From week four uh, with Philadelphia through week 12, the coverage was just not on point. That's when you had a bunch of, you know, maybe Jair would step up and King would fall off or vice versa. It just wasn't great. Since week 13, however, and this this is a theme since week 13, if you noticed, after that 49ers game, it almost seems as though it was a wake-up call. Imagine that. The coverage has been very much on point. And Kevin King specifically has not had a bad game since. He has not had anything but good games since. And then the last one would be special teams. Uh, that's been basically since the bye, the special teams unit has pretty much figured it out. Obviously, we've got a returner now, but as far as the entire unit from kicking field goals to kickoffs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, since week 12, they went from one of the worst special teams units to, I don't know what their ranking would be in these weeks, I could look, but I'm not going to. But they've, they've been solid. 
So that in and of itself is encouraging. Basically, since that 49ers game, if you were to take this team, I'd be willing to bet they'd be ranked much higher because they've been they've been really good. But anyways, why don't we do this? Let's look at special teams right now as far as the grades for the game against the Detroit Lions because it doesn't take long. We'll take a break and then do offense and defense, and then we'll call it a day. So as far as the, the kicking and, and returning operation, not including any kicking, there were several people that stood out in the good and only one that was pretty abysmal. The one guy that really, really stood out was Mr. Ibrahim Campbell on special teams. He didn't generate any tackles or anything of that nature, but for whatever reason, he did a fantastic job, and he was on just about everything except field goals. Kick return, kick coverage, punt return, punt coverage. Four, five, five, five were the snaps, so evenly distributed. So I don't know what you did, Mr. Ibrahim Campbell, but round of applause to you. The other three that stood out, Kyler Fackrell, Robert Tanyan, and Oren Burke. The guy that stood out in the negative was Mr. Jay Sternberger. So basically, when you look at these special teams things, it's a list of about, let's see, there's 38 people. So 38 minus 5. You got 33 guys with basically an almost exactly 60 grade. So the next lowest, for example, is Hunter Bradley, who is always at the bottom of this list, our long snapper, but a 56. And then you got Jay Sternberger down at a 29.5. So I don't know what his problem was, but he was not doing very well. He's basically just on kicking units, so kick return and kick coverage. So maybe just terrible blocking. I don't know. As far as kicking grades, again, these are usually just perfectly average because they don't usually grade very high or low unless you're just terrible. But uh, anyways, Mason's statistics, I pretty much talked about two for two on extra points, field goals three of four, got a 63 overall grade. Again, I, I the only reason I say that is because people are going to hear 63 and get offended. All kickers get 63s. Maybe if you hit like five 50-yard field goals, you get like a 75 or something. I don't know. And then J.K. Scott, I kind of went through his grades as well, or his statistics as well. The only thing that was missing was hang time, uh, 4 three, six. So he hasn't really been killing it with hang time in a long time. I'm not really sure what the deal is with that. Um, I know his, his accuracy has been great, which I'm, I'm fine with that. If you're trying to do pinpoint, and I'm guessing it's probably easier, if you think about it, to be accurate with more of a line drive than if you're trying to be accurate but also kick it straight up in the air and then have it land right where you want it to land. So if he's kicking it to the one-yard line, I don't care that he doesn't have five-second hang time. I just really don't. I know he can do it, but what I saw was some very, very accurate punting, and I think more than anything, that's what I want. Now, listen, if you're kicking from our end zone, yeah, kick the living air out of that ball. 51 yards, five-second hang time. I want one of those again, like the old days. But if you're punting from the our 45-yard line, yeah, just try to get it inside the 10. That's all I care about. So, anyways, let's take a break, and then we'll get into the real meat of this thing, the offense and defense. Look at some more in-depth statistics, et cetera, et cetera. Be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
So why don't we go ahead and start with the offense because that's what everyone's going to want to know about. So the, the, there was only one guy that really stood out as having a great day on offense, and that was David Bakhtiari, which is great to see because as much as he's been solid all year, especially as a, as a pass blocker, he's been one of the top guys, he hasn't really stood out as the top tackle in football for a long time. The really awesome thing about this is David Bakhtiari overall had an 86.2 grade. His pass blocking grade was a 91.1 elite. The really exciting thing is I've been saying David Bakhtiari is not the greatest run blocker in the world, and I don't care because he's a great pass blocker. He had a fantastic run blocking grade. In fact, it was the, let's see, third highest, second highest among actual offensive linemen. And it was somewhat of a down day as far as run blocking is concerned, but David Bakhtiari wasn't a problem. He had a great day, 76. That's awesome. That's not like he's never done it before, so I'm not, you know, maybe it'll drop back down again. But it is really awesome to see that this is... This is across the offensive line. Um, other guys that stood out on offense, these are guys that are just 70s, and all of them were kind of low 70s, but I'll say it anyways. Brian Balaga had another great day. Uh, good day pass blocking as well as run blocking. He was the number one offensive lineman as far as run blocking goes. Um, Devontae Adams had a good day, as you would expect. Uh, fourth highest on this list, Aaron Rodgers. Now, I don't know. The only thing I can think as when I saw this yesterday is that they obviously are going to wait deep passes differently than short passes. He was fairly accurate on short to intermediate passes. The long passes, not quite as much, and he did connect on a few of them. So if you get, let's just say you get like two points for, or three points for completing, this isn't how their system works, but just as an example, if you get three points for completing a deep pass, but only lose one point for missing a deep pass because it's harder to do, that's where you could see that kind of getting skewed, and then you factor in a bunch of short to intermediate passes getting completed. I'm just trying to think in terms of if you had a system, how this could be this way, because I'm looking at the overall performance and thinking he was off. And granted, most of these passes, he was off by like inches. Well, some of them were several feet. I I don't know. But PFF and their system clearly didn't see it as big of a negative as I did, and several others did. But whatever, there you go. And then the last one would be Aaron Jones with a 70.2 overall grade, and we'll get more into the specifics on that. At a later time, um, a bunch of mediocre folks, um, the ones that were, I would say, standing out as being the worst, we'll say 55 or below. Um, at 55 even, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who has taken up permanent residence in the basement of this PFF uh, website. 17th overall out of 20, Jimmy Graham. Uh, 18th would be Corey Lindsley, who did go out injured. So I'm not really sure if that had any impact. Maybe he was trying to play through it. I don't know. But bottom line is, he was fantastic as a pass blocker, but had a terrible day run blocking, which a lot of these guys did. And and to be fair, the Detroit Lions, if their defense does anything well at stopping the run, maybe that has somewhat of an impact on this. But Corey Lindsley, not the best day in the world. Um, second from the bottom is Jake Kumaro, who had a fantastic day run blocking, but he only did that six times, ran 11 routes, and was just horrible. The only one that was slightly worse as a receiver was Geronimo Allison, who was dead last on this list. So as I said, Marquez and Geronimo constantly at the bottom. And I know Geronimo caught some passes, but again, they're watching snap to snap, and and what they're seeing is just Geronimo and Marquez are just doing nothing to help. And that's the quote that I just saw here coming across Twitter uh, via Rob Domofsky. He asked Matt LaFleur how concerned he is about Aaron Rodgers' play, and he said, I think we've been off on a lot of play. But he went on to say that um, he can't do it all himself. Guys have to make plays. And I I can't help but picture, looking at PFF all these weeks, guys like Geronimo, guys like Kumaro, guys like Jimmy Graham, guys like Marquez, again, on a play-to-play basis, just not doing enough. 
That's one of the things that several people have kind of jumped on me about after this Aaron Rodgers rant, after his one bad week, is they think that I'm making excuses for the wide receivers and stuff. I'm not. And yeah, if maybe if there was a little bit more separation, maybe these wouldn't be incompletions. Because notice a lot of these are probably overthrows. So he's probably erring on the side of throwing too hard as opposed to possibly underthrowing and getting picked like what happened with Kumaro. So if there's enough separation, he probably doesn't miss them. Look at that. You know, and there was we saw a, a touchdown pass, probably several now, that have been poorly thrown in the end zone when there's somebody nearby but what happens when Devonte has like five yards of separation because he just runs a great route of course that was deadly accurate because Aaron Rodgers isn't trying to get it to his outside shoulder or pass it to the outside so it can't get picked he just throws it right at his chest so you know we, we could sit here and maybe if kind of sort of hopefully I'm not taking that as a good enough excuse because I watched Russell Wilson that night and that's a quarterback who just throws the ball where it needs to go which is usually what quarterbacks do but, but still, there's no question if we had better play from our tight ends and wide receivers, this would be a better offense. That's just sort of self-explanatory. And, I, you know, two things can be true at once. Aaron Rodgers had a bad day, and he doesn't have much to work with. And no, I'm not contradicting myself when I said that this is not a uniquely bad wide receiver group. The only thing I was saying there is that the idea that, well, they only have one wide receiver, so what? A lot of teams only have one wide receiver. That doesn't mean I don't want to draft a wide receiver in the draft. I do. I absolutely do. If they took a Jalen Rager or a T. Higgins or whoever it is that they really like, even in the first round, which a lot of people are saying that's too early, I don't I do it. I'm all for that. I was high on Emmanuel Sanders, all this stuff. I want better wide receivers. I want better tight end play. That's one thing that Mike McCarthy, uh, Matt LaFleur, and Aaron Rodgers all have in, in common. They love tight ends. We just can't seem to get a good one in here, except Jared Cook, who inexplicably we decided to get rid of. Don't know why. He was great down the stretch in the playoffs. We decided, eh, let's dump him and get, uh, what's his name in here? Whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't want to say his name anyways. That was a nightmare. Uh, looking specifically at blocking, zero sacks were credited to anybody. Aaron Rodgers got sacked, didn't he? Whatever. He listed three hits uh, being given up, two of them by Billy Turner, one by David Bakhtiar. Ten total hurries, four of them came from Elton Jenkins, two from Turner, Two, they put on Aaron Rodgers, one on Aaron Jones, one on Brian Balaga. Overall pressures, four from Elton Jenkins, who had a terrible pass-blocking grade in this game. Actually, the worst of the entire offensive line, and kind of by a lot. Uh, four from Billy Turner, two on Aaron Rodgers, and then one apiece for Aaron Jones, David Bakhtiari, and Brian Balaga. As far as just specifically looking at the grades, um, elite from Bakhtiari. Jared Valdir was actually the second-highest pass-blocker, which is awesome. 24 times he was into pass block. Did a fantastic job. That's really good to see, to have a guy of that quality um, as a backup. You know, maybe it's just because it's the Lions. I don't know, but you don't expect that from a guy to just step in and do that. Uh, Corey Lindsley was fantastic. Brian Balaga, Mercedes Lewis, Lucas Patrick did a great job. Zero sacks, hits, or hurries. Which, by the way, he hasn't given up a sack, hit, or hurry all year. Continues that trend. Uh, Tyler Irvin did a good job. Dexter Williams did a good job. Jay Sternberger did a good job. And Billy Turner did a good job. Average would be Tanyan, Geronimo, and Aaron Jones, and then Elton Jenkins. Uh, so the, the second lowest was Aaron Jones with a 65, Elton Jenkins at a 47. So not good at all. And then run blocking, Jay Kumaro stood out as the top run blocker, and then you have Balaga and Bakhtiar. Then you just got a whole bunch of average until you get all the way down to the bottom three, where you have Billy Turner, Mercedes Lewis, who I was just bragging up, and then Corey Lindsley, who was really, really bad. So again, there's, there's the volatility. Right? Sometimes guys are high, sometimes guys are low in these categories, whatever. It happens. It is one area that they really need to, uh, I don't know, I'm sure they already emphasize it. 
but the team just generally does better when they run the ball better. That I'm that's a consistent thread throughout the season. When Aaron Jones is rolling, this offense is rolling. And so uh, good on Kumaro, Balaga, and Bakhtiari being able to block up. Hopefully we can get uh, you know some of these other guys back in line to kind of help out in that regard. Looking at Aaron Rodgers, um, he actually graded out better when under pressure than not under pressure, which in, in a very weird way almost makes sense. If you assume that while under pressure, he was either number one just throwing it away, which I'm sure he wasn't super negatively graded for that, or just throwing to a check down, which is where he was successful. Whereas when he had time to sit and plant his feet, what did he do? He launched a 30-yard pass and it went incomplete. But if we look at it, under zero pressure, which was most of the games, most of the game, which is really disappointing, he was 19 of 40, 47.5 completion percent. He with with zero pressure in his face, he completed less than half of his passes, 47.5, 5.1 yards per attempt for a total of 204 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. That interception came when he had time to stand there and plant his feet. So just a really, really weird game. Um, on those 40 attempts, he did have three drops, but again, we're talking about 21 incompletions. Because I know a lot of people want to say, well, what about the drops? Okay, well, there were 21 incompletions. Three of them were receivers' faults. So we're talking 18 compared to three. If you want to put it all on the wide receivers, you can. I don't know. I'm probably not going to do that so much. Even his adjusted completion percentage, when you take away the drops, 55% he was completing of his passes. Now, when he wasn't under pressure, it wasn't super great, but it was definitely a lot better. He was 8 of 15, which is 53%. His adjusted completion percentage, 61%. Threw for 119 yards, 7.9 yards per attempt, one touchdown, zero interception. He just needed pressure in that game. He, had, he, he was up in his head too much. When he had time to just stand there and do whatever he wanted, he just was not on. But when they were just up in his face and he just had to make quick decisions, for whatever reason, it was working. Also, very, very strange, if you look at I don't usually mention this, but the passing direction, where they break down grades and stats based on section of the field. The <laughs> From left to right, it went from terrible to average to amazing. So, <laughs> statistics beyond 10 yards going from left to right. Ready? Zero for nine on the, from the left hash over. 10 yards or, or greater, right? Two of nine for 46 yards. Um, in the middle of the field, 10 yards or greater. By the way, one pick on the left side. So 0 of 9 for 0 yards, 0 touchdowns, 1 interception. And then on the right side of the field, 4 of 10 for 88 yards and a touchdown. So that, that right side of the field, Rodgers was definitely feeling that a little bit more. The left side of the field, it was just a waste of time. Maybe that's just who's lined up over there, I don't know. But it was not working. Looking specifically at the rushing grades, uh, nobody really grayed out purely as a runner super highly. Uh, Aaron Jones, 66. Tyler Irvin, 62. Dexter Williams, 62. Statistically, though, it was all great. You know, play-to-play, obviously, we saw Aaron Jones not get a ton, but he added those couple breakaways. 25 for 100, uh, four-yard average. I went over this already. Tyler Irvin, 10-yard average. Dexter Williams, 4.5-yard average. Um, Aaron Jones completing five, converting five first down. He had two runs for beyond 10 yards. Tyler Irvin, obviously, his one carry was 10 yards, so there you go. Technically, it's 10-plus, so he made that category. Yards after contact, Tyler Irvin on his one carry had four. Aaron Jones and Dexter Williams about two and a half. Aaron Jones' longest run was 14 yards. Dexter Williams' longest was five. So he was pretty consistent about those five yards. Again, I'm, I'm actually excited. I don't know if Dexter's going to see a lot of time this year, and I'm not exactly sure what's holding him back, if it's just not understanding or just not doing well or whatever. I just, I don't know. I got this 
I shouldn't, because when a guy can't get on the field, you have to assume he's not very good. But I just, I just got a feeling, man. I don't know. And when you watch him play, he's just so fast. He just looks so quick. It's like, God, I just want to just, I want to see him break one one time. Because I feel like if he just hits the hole at the right time, this guy is going to do some damage. But I don't know, whatever. Maybe that's a next year thing. Receiving, I kind of went already through this. Um, specifically looking at grades, just receiving grades. Before it was overall offensive grades, the number one receiver was actually Mercedes Lewis. So he had a terrible grade because his blocking was so bad, but he was the top receiver in this game. The second highest receiver was Aaron Jones. Third was Devontae Adams. And then you had Robert Tanyan and then Alan Lazard, all of which were kind of in the... So three of them were technically good, two of them were technically average. After that, it just drops downhill. You had Marquez at 55, Tyler Irvin 55, Jimmy at 55, and then it just gets real bad. Uh, with Jay Kumaro and Geronimo Allison down around 45. The three drops were credited to Geronimo, Jimmy Graham, and Marquez, each with one drop. If you look at the passer rating when targeted, which granted some of this has to do with the quarterback, but you got guys, <laughs> all of them except three were under 100. Geronimo, 82. Jimmy, 78. Tanyan, 70. Aaron Jones, 59. Tyler Irvin, 42. Marquez, 39. And Jay Kumaro, 18. So... You know, not not super great. But anyways, let's flip it over to the defense. Um, wasn't really a lot of super high end. Like, we didn't have that 90 grade from Zadarius, but there was a decent amount of, of okay play, I guess. Definitely need better than this in the playoffs. But um, four guys in the 70s, no 90s, no 80. Uh, Tremont Williams was number one. Great day in coverage for him. Kenny Clark was number two. Again, nothing super elite, but relatively consistent across run defense and tackling. Nothing as far as pass rush. Zadarius was number three. Terrible, terrible tackling grade, but again, a, a, another really good pass rush day. Didn't super feel it when I was watching the game, but he had six total pressures in the game, which is awesome. And then a guy that uh, we haven't talked about in a while who had another great coverage day was Chandon Sullivan. Guys that were bad, again, we'll do 55 and below just as sort of a cutoff. Uh, Tyler Lancaster just providing basically nothing. Jair was the fourth lowest. Again, just he has not, not been, I mean, he hasn't had a super horrible game. He just hasn't been that kind of lockdown guy that we were kind of hoping he would be like we saw in the beginning of the year. Uh, Preston Smith is the third lowest. He's been kind of low for several weeks now. I know every every time you come on to a football game, they talk about Preston and Zadarius and how much of an impact these two guys have and all that. It's really just been Zadarius almost since the bye. The last time he graded out well was against Washington. The time before that was San Francisco. Um, basically he's been 40s and 50s since week nine, except for those two games. His grades since week nine have been 49, 51, 73, 53, 70, 57, 56, 52. And this is the first game in which he had zero sacks, zero hits, zero hurries. He had no pressures at all. First time all season that he's done that. So this is, this is kind of bottoming out for him. So hopefully he can kind of get back into the groove because he's, I mean, PFF's already credited him for 13 sacks. So if he doesn't play a single snap from here on out, statistically he did phenomenal but again it's a situation of being happy but not satisfied of course i'm happy with what he's done am i satisfied with zero sacks hits or hurries no i'm happy with what he's done i expect continuation of that i know that hurts people's feelings for some reason to expect things from football players and to want them to do well so we can win a super bowl because in some people's mind we should want to win a super bowl but we should also just be nice all the time so if they want to be terrible that's fine they can be terrible and we can win a super bowl because i live in fantasy land and by the way, they're not terrible. I don't care what their stats or their grades say. They're always awesome. So you don't have to do anything, and you're awesome, and we're going to win a Super Bowl. Because, you know, fantasy land. By the way, go start a podcast and go talk about that stuff. Just please go away. Because that is so mindless, it just hurts me even saying those words. 
Plus, I don't have to hear you every time I go on a negative rant, reach out to me and talk about how I hurt your feelings. Because again, this is a situation where people are going to hear me say this about Preston and they're going to get mad again. Because the media says Preston's good and all the fans say Preston's great. And if I just point out, look, he's been struggling in the last few weeks, everyone flips out because that doesn't go with what we just believe. Doesn't matter if it's true, we believe it as a collective. Preston is elite, okay? Well, he's not. He's had a good year. He's struggling. I would like him to get back to being good again. That's the reality. I'm not going to reach out into fantasy land with you. I'm not going to do that. And so don't even come at me with this garbage about Preston, because I'm just going to smack you, virtually speaking. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't actually assault you. I, I, you know, I'm not that upset about it. I just want you to go away. I'm sure there are podcasts and Facebook groups. You know what? You should start a Facebook group where you can only say good things. Maybe I'll start that Facebook group. It'd be kind of funny. And I'll just ban everybody that says negative stuff, be super fascistic about it, be angry and all in the name of being nice. Anyways, second worst, once again, Blake Martinez. Now, granted, he was great as a tackler, and he actually did fantastic as a pass rusher. He had two total pressures on only six attempts, including a sack. Problem is, worst run defender in football, which he has been since forever, which is another narrative that nobody likes. Well, at least Blake is good against the run. All we got to do is get a guy who's, you know, basically like Oren Burks next to him, and we'll be fine, which, by the way, they only play one linebacker, so you're not putting somebody next to him. Second of all, stop saying he's good against the run because he's horrible and has been for two years now. Are you talking about 2017? Because I can agree with you in 2017, he was awesome. If that's what we're talking about, yeah, he was, he was solid against the run. If you're not talking about 2017, please stop saying that he's a good run defender because he's not. Basically, he, here are the three worst run defense grades of all linebackers this past week. Devin White, which is hilarious because everyone was super high on him and he's been a terrible linebacker. He had the lowest run defense grade with a 29.2. Foyesade Oluokun, 29.4. And Blake Martinez, 29.7. Those three basically tied for the three worst against the run this entire week. Congratulations. Now, Blake isn't actually the worst run defender in all of football. He is basically tied with Devin White, though, which is, again, hilarious because Devin White was taken very high, and it just makes me happy when somebody else has a first-round draft pick that has all the hype in the world and is actually kind of garbage. But anyway, he is currently 79th out of 99 linebackers against the run, stopping the run, which is usually the number one job of a linebacker. He, uh, he can't do it, though, which is exactly why I'm not paying this guy any money. I'm going to draft a linebacker, and that's the end of it. By the way, uh, kind of big news on that front. There were really just two linebackers that were seen as first-round linebackers. Isaiah Simmons, who's probably gone long gone before the Packers get him. Plus, he's I don't even know why people call him a linebacker. The guy's in the slot like 70% of the time. He's a safety like 20% of the time. So like 10%, I mean, maybe it's just the games that I watch, but the guy is never playing linebacker. But uh, Dylan Moses, linebacker out of Alabama, decided to go back to school. So he's officially off the list. Meaning, you know, Kenneth Murray, Terrell Lewis, not a whole lot of, you know, on my list, I got three top 50 linebackers. That's it. So not super promising. We'll see, you know, these things change a lot, especially around now. This is when people really start to focus on the draft, especially the teams that are officially out. It's all draft all day. And so these things will start to change pretty drastically, but um, not a huge amount of prospects. So we probably will end up getting another third, fourth, fifth round linebacker. And because they're the Packers, they will cut Blake Martinez and we'll just be with Oren Burks, BJ Goodson, and the fifth round guy. And then dead last on this list, my good friend and a guy that I try to defend regularly and have not been thanked very much by him is Rashawn Gary. Now, to be honest, I can't exactly see because based on his grades, he wasn't that low. So it must have been something else that I can't see. His overall grade was a 33, which is terrible. But 
his pass rush grade was a 51, and his run defense grade was a 64. So somewhere in there he was doing something terrible. I'm not sure what it was. It wasn't rushing the passer or stopping the run. Neither of those were great, but they weren't as abysmal as they made it out to be. But he did something that was just really dumb. I don't know what it was. Maybe he gave up on the plays. I, I don't know. Don't have any answers for you on that. Looking at the statistics, again, Zadarius was the only real pass rush in this entire game. Six pressures, two hits and four hurries, zero sacks. Blake Martinez, which is how you know it's a bad day, had the second most pressures in this game with one sack and one hurry. Otherwise, Dean Lowry, Kyler Fackrell, and Adrian Amos with pressure. I mean, this has to be one of the worst pressured games we've had, isn't it? We got zero from Preston, zero from uh, Rashawn, zero from Kenny, and three of these 11 pressures came from a safety and a linebacker. Man, if we didn't have Zedarius on this team, I don't know what we would do. There would be five pressures in this entire game, which is hilarious because of the 11, Zadarius had more than half of those pressures with six. But anyway, um, one batted pass coming by way of Preston. That was his one awesome thing of the day. Um, missed tackles. We had zero last week. We had five this week. Two missed tackles from Darnell Savage, two missed tackles from Zadarius Smith, and one missed tackle from Chandon Sullivan. Stops, there were a bunch of them. There were 19 stops. Again, a stop is a tackle that was a negative play for the offense. Four of them came from Kenny Clark. Three of them came from Blake Martinez. Two from Chandon Sullivan. Two from Lowry. Two from Amos. Two from Tremont. And then one apiece for Jair, Kingsley Kiki, Darnell Savage, and Kyler Fack. And then finally looking at coverage. Um, actually, well, whatever. The grades are what the grades are. Jair graded out with, as a 55 in coverage, which is below average. He was targeted seven times. Five of them were caught for 78 total yards. No touchdowns, interceptions, or pass breakup. So a hefty amount of targets and a good amount of receptions and a decent amount of yards. Chandon was the second most targeted, which is kind of crazy because he was only in coverage 15 times. He was car- cov- targeted five of 15 times. So one of, one in three times when he was on the field, they threw at him. However, only one of those five passes was caught, and it was caught for four yards. So, great day from Chandon. Kevin King was the third most targeted. Four times he was targeted. Only one of them was caught for 13 yards, and he had a pass breakup in this game. Blake Martinez was targeted three times. Two of those were caught for only five yards, and he had the pick. So, obviously, he had a great day in coverage. And he did, by the I mean, again, his, his tackling grade was an 80. His pass rush grade was an 85. And then you look at it in coverage. Only three targets, only two receptions for five yards, and the guy had a pick. So that's fine with me. Otherwise, not a whole lot. Adrian Amos, two targets, one reception for 17 yards. Ibrahim Campbell targeted twice, zero receptions. Tremont, two targets, only one reception for negative two yards, and a pass breakup. Which is to say he was targeted twice. One of those times he got batted down. One of those times he got tackled two yards behind the line of scrimmage by Tremont, which is why he had an 85 coverage grade. Uh, Rashawn Gary was targeted once for 19 yards, so that's kind of hilarious. Darnell Savage, one target, zero receptions. Kyler Fackrell, one target, one reception for seven yards. So that's about it. That's the full summary. I would say more than anything, because the guys who are really negative are the guys that are always negative. The biggest problem with this game, aside from the whole Aaron Rodgers thing, which again, you figure that out on your own, was that there wasn't really a lot of top end. We didn't have guys in the 80s or 90s for the most part, aside from David Bakhtiari for the most part. And that's really what makes this team so awesome, is there's always that collection of guys that just really stand out. And in this game, there just wasn't. You had guys that were just kind of hanging out that were good, not great. And then you had your usual suspects of guys who weren't doing well. And then you add in Aaron Rodgers being off on a bunch of deep passes, which we shouldn't have been throwing deep so many deep passes. And it just all kind of came together into this game that was like, doesn't feel very good. 
But it wasn't actually, I mean, you, if you just look at the grades, you would look at it and go, eh, it's pretty pretty typical, actually. Again, the only real thing that stood out was that nobody was super top end, which, okay. You know, it wasn't like I came in here and it was just all red, like everybody was horrible. That's not the case. It was just some guys really stood out more than usual, like Bakhtiari with his run defense grade. But for the most part, it was just a lot of, yeah, it was decent. And again, once you're in the playoffs, you, you got to have that top end. But we'll assume because they play up to competition that we're going to see that and it's all going to be good. So, anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. We'll be talking about something else tomorrow, and I'll catch you for that. Have a good one. Bye-bye.